All right. Welcome back to another episode of the Project Warman podcast with me, Connor Warman. My guest today is Dave Kalina. Dave is the founder and CEO of O2, which is an award-winning beverage brand and a proud sponsor of the CrossFit Games. He graduated from The Ohio State University with a degree in international business. From there, he spent a few years in corporate strategy at a Fortune 100 financial services company. After three years, he decided to launch a nonprofit charter high school in Columbus called Crystal Ray. After a few more years in the corporate world, he decided to quit his day job, coach CrossFit, and set out to create a healthier sports drink that launched out of the back of his car in 2014. The rest from there is history. There will be a part two to this podcast as I had a little mix up and made a mistake, but you will (laughs) figure that out when you get to the end. Um, Besides all this, Dave's an awesome dude and he's someone that I am happy and proud to call my friend. And now, without further ado, let's get on with the show. Dave, what's going on? Dude. Great to be here, Eat, yeah. eating some eating some eating cookies, some cookies with you yeah. on a Friday <laughs> afternoon. Hearing some cookie chewing during this. <laughs> That's right. But uh, yeah, man, we're here in Boulder. Um, thanks for taking the time. First off, yeah, my pleasure. Yeah. So, how has Boulder been to you so far? Boulder's great. Like you know, you and I were just talking about. Um, there's there's a high concentration of people doing cool shit in in this community. Um, and I think that's a function of living in a destination city. I didn't grow up in a destination city and I didn't, I didn't live for most of my life. I wasn't in a destination city. So most people where I grew up, you know, are are there because they grew up there and they never really left. Whereas every, not everybody, but most people out here are transplants, which means they've given something up to come out here. They've had the courage to, to leave home and leave their, you know, their roots to pursue something, you know, a little bit better and i think that's yeah. that's what i find most most cool about this place. yeah there's definitely something to be said about that just like no matter what you come out here to do there's just something about it doesn't have to be bolder just someone who decides to just up and leave that's right that's right in the pursuit of something better for something more that's right no nope. yeah, it's it is a special type of person what made you i'll turn the tables on you oh, here. Great. Here what, we go. <laughs> what made you come out here crossfit was it crossfit yeah i came out for tasha's first ever day. Mm-hmm. oh wow didn't know and how'd you know tosh didn't know him so so, how did that? Uh, like, how did you get he posted l- on Instagram? And you're just I like, I'm a doing this. With him before that, but okay. I didn't know him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Came so, out. So he posts, "Hey, I'm doing a 24 hour workout," and you yeah. thought it was a good idea yeah, to come out for that. Go to this dude's house that I don't know. What could go wrong? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and came out, and Nicole Christensen was there. Oh, nice. Met her, and then. And she still hired you after yeah. after that. <laughs> well, there's like there's the detail. I have, uh, <laughs> she was only there for about half an hour. Okay, all right. So just enough like for a, a good first impression. Yeah, she got in a call that she had a positive COVID test, so oh, she bummer. had to leave. Oh, wow. But, yeah, otherwise I would have been surprised. But, yeah, so it is kind of a miracle that she hired me after that. So how was your first, how was your first diesel day? Because I'm getting ready to do one in October. I don't know if you know Oh, you're going to do it in yeah. October? Yeah, yeah. Sweet. It was great. Um, didn't know what I was getting into. Which I don't mind. Mm-hmm. I like to dive in and mm-hmm. just do things. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they not a surprise based on the story you just told. <laughs> sometimes good results, sometimes bad <laughs> results. But it was great. I can't tell you too much about it. But is that is that why your nickname is Space Cowboy Connor on the no, on the Tosh Manus? That came later because he was calling me the Space Cadet for a while. <laughs> I'd say I, you evolved into a better yeah, version of that. And then nickname. him and I did Diesel Day two together, and I beat him. Oh snap! So, well, that's not that. Hard. Oh really? <laughs> no, see, every time I beat Tosh in a in a madness workout, I'm like, yeah, I just beat the man. 
But uh, yes, and he upgraded me to Space Cowboy. But he's flirted <laughs> with going back to it a few times. <laughs> but it's all good fun. But yeah, that's how I got here. That's great. That's and great. So far, so good. All right, we, we'll keep trading questions. I could keep yeah, going, but I'll, <laughs> yeah. I'll let you have a turn. So you grew up in Ohio? I did. You went to the Ohio State University. The, did I'm you see still... recently that they, they yeah. trademarked the word the? I saw they were trying to. They Th- that happened. I don't understand. Just sit with that for a second. Why is it called the? <laughs> That's ama- that is a, an <laughs> amazing feat. Why do they have to emphasize of the? How, I think an even better question is, <laughs> how did they trademark yeah. the word the? Yeah, how do you do that? Like, I mean, they must have the best not, IP attorneys on the are planet. Are you not supposed to be allowed to do that? Apparently, apparently you can. <laughs> I mean, we, we have gotten uh, pushback on, on trademarking O2 because our, our brand is O2. Yep. And so we, like any other brand, want to trademark, protect our, our brand. And the pushback that we've gotten in the past is, well, the trademark O2 is merely descriptive, right? Mm. Okay. Well, we, you know, we managed to get around that. But how do you get around that with the word the? Yeah. How do you show that that's actually yours? <laughs> that's, yeah. That's a feat of strength if I've ever seen it. Have they always called it that? Well, they've always called it the Ohio State University. But now they emphasize right. the more. It became... You know, I, I think it was kind of a joke when I was there. Like, you know, you'd say, I, I don't go to OSU, I go to TOSU, you mm. know, because mm. it's the Ohio State University. Yeah. And if memory serves, that, that started probably football broadcasting season. You know, the announcers would kind of, uh, you know, introduce Ohio State as the Ohio mm. State University. And then OSU ran with it, and then fast forward 20 years, and here we are talking about how they yeah. trademarked the word the. The. Pretty incredible. And then after, you stayed there, right? You stayed in Ohio? I did. I was there for 15 years um, total in, in Columbus. So I went to, went to OSU in 2002, and I left uh, Columbus in Uh-oh. 2017. You're talking about... The Ohio State the University. Ohio State right. University. I can't, I'm not going to be able to get over this. Um, so, mm-hmm. so I was, yeah. So in Columbus, uh, 2002 to 2017, mm-hmm. um, moved to Cincinnati, uh, which is where I grew up in 2017, and then came out here in uh, 2021. Yeah. And what did you do after school? What did you go into? So my my first job was at Nationwide Insurance, which is a Fortune 100 financial services and property casualty, yep. mostly insurance company, uh, headquartered in Columbus. And I, I wanted to, coming out of school, and managed to somehow get into the field of corporate strategy, which was, which was really rare, especially for an undergrad coming out of a non-Ivy League you know, university to be able to get into that field. Um, but I, I did pretty well in, in undergrad. And I, I think I got lucky um, because I was interning at Nationwide in their investments group. And uh, I, I knew I'd, quickly I didn't want to be in investments. And so the... Why is that? Um, why is that? It, it didn't really... Like the thought of making a bunch of money has, has never really lit me on fire. Okay. Um, and I think that the principal reason many people are in investing at the risk of offending some people in investing is because they just want to make a bunch of money Mm. and you know if that's what you want to do it's a great place to be but there's not much um you know there's there's not like there's not a ton of not much else to it i guess outside of just 
making money. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that didn't really appeal to me. What appealed to me was, um, you know, charting a course for an existing business or figuring out, you know, hard problems that needed to be solved in order to, you know, for a, a business unit to, to perform better or, or different more managerial type um, challenges versus making a bunch of money. And in undergrad, I was a undergrad business major, which in hindsight, I, I, I regret because it has, it hasn't really had anything to yeah. do with anything <laughs> that I do now. Um, but there was, there was one course that I took that was a really, really very profound on, on me personally and cool course, um, that was on, on strategy. It was taught by my first mentor, a guy named Jay Dial, who was a uh, professor at Harvard. Then he came. Then he taught at Texas. Then he wound up at Ohio State, and just one of the one of the most, you know, intellectual powerhouse of human beings that I've ever met in my life. Just really, really smart guy. Um, and his course was only taught at the MBA level. It was the Capstone Strategy course, and then. One time a year, he would come down to the undergrad level and teach it to a group of honors undergrads. And so I took that class my senior year of, of college and thought, this is, everything else in business is kind of boring, but this is awesome. Like, strategy is just super cool, amazing. I want to get into strategy. And then I told that to my advisor. She kind of laughed at me. She's like, you know, it's, we, we, have, we have our top you know, our top MBA students want to get into strategy. You should probably <laughs> rethink <Yeah>. that <laughs> goal. And I'm like, no, I want to do strategy. Um, so, so I managed to get synced up with the head of strategy at Nationwide, and he and I uh, hit it off, and the rest is kind of history. I spent the first three and a half years of my five-year career at Nationwide in corporate strategy, you know, effectively serving as his lieutenant over time anyway, um, and, and I got a whole lot out of that. Um, so it was, it was a great first job. Yeah. And then you went on, you were like starting at, let's talk about a school in Columbus you were starting yep. at night. Yep. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So that, that was, um, right around year three, um, of that five year, uh, journey I just mentioned a second ago, Steve, who was the chief strategy officer at Nationwide, the guy who was running the strategy group and, you know, became an, another mentor to me, he celebrated his 60th birthday. And we had a very small team in strategy. It was, you know, three or four ex-McKinsey consultants, two or three, you know, undergrad, uh, graduate associates, and, uh, and me. And so it was a pretty intimate group. And Steve invited us all up to his, you know, his magnificent office on the 37th floor of Nationwide, which is, you know, right across from the CEO's office. Yeah. It's just comical <laughs> looking back on it, how ivory tower that 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 the 37th floor was (laughs) um and and you know he's a very high accomplished guy i mean he was a 12-year mckinsey guy and you know harvard mba and used to run you know credit swiss and so so like he's a he's he's a pretty accomplished guy um and he took his job very seriously and and his his position reflected that but but on his 60th birthday he got a little emotional which i never saw from steve and he's like, look, you know, the stuff that we do here is important and it's great. But, you know, the things that I'm most most proud of in my life, as I reflect as a 60-year-old now, uh, are the things that I've done to benefit the community. And he starts to talk about Krista Ray, the school that he was on the founding board of that started in Chicago um, in 1996. 
And the whole premise behind the school is that they'll go into a very low income area and provide very high quality private nonprofit charter high school education to a group of kids who otherwise couldn't afford it. And the way that they that they do this, because high quality education is expensive, um, the way that they do this is they created a job sharing program where one kid would, uh, or excuse me, four kids would share one job at like a company like Nationwide or maybe a company like CrossFit, just doing like administrative stuff, pushing papers, but they're in an environment where they're surrounded by people who have gone to college and who have excelled in their careers and they see these people aren't that different from me. Mm -hmm. um, so in return for the labor, they get collectively about $30,000 that's applied towards their tuition. So it makes oh, the wow. cost of education you know, much, much more affordable. And then there, there are grants on top of that. Bill and Melinda Gates got involved in 1999. Oh, wow. And so it's, it's a thing and it's a big thing. And Steve started the first one of these schools that now has about 30 schools across the country, all of which have a 99% high school graduation rate in areas where, you know, it's usually like 30 to 40%. Mm. So I, I latched onto that. I thought that was super cool. And so Steve and I, you know, talked about it more. And uh, I remember I was, um, I was visiting my mom in Cincinnati and I found a newspaper article in the Cincinnati Inquirer talking about how Krista Ray was coming to Cincinnati. And through my own research, I already knew that there was one in Cleveland, but there wasn't one in Columbus. And Columbus was at the time, it probably still is, the only growing major city in Ohio. And oh, wow. so that the following week, I, I marched up to Steve's 37th floor office. It's not Cleveland. It's Cleveland's not Cleveland. I don't think so. Although Cleveland's <laughs> on the up, from what I understand. Um, but I but I told Steve, look, man, like there's already a school in Cleveland, and there's one coming to Cincinnati. Columbus is the only growing city in Ohio. Why we need to make a school here? You know, like it's obvious. And he's like, okay, yeah, all right. Like I'll help you do it, but you got to do all the work. <laughs> like, yeah. okay, that's right. the, that's the relationship that we had. That's yeah, what I'm yeah. used to. So yeah, nothing yeah. different. Yeah. Um, and so that became the start of a two and a half, three year project, um, that I led to, to bring a, a, a school, Crystal yeah. Ray school to Columbus. Um, and that was an incredibly gratifying experience. That's cool. Like too, just about people in general, like, cause you started off by saying this guy in, in his 37th floor corner office, ivory tower, but then he's like, that's what you see. But then when you talk to him, yeah. he's like, this is not. This isn't the meaningful work to me. Well, I think it's kind business. of the, the, the life arc of successful people, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, like yeah. you establish yourself, yep. you know, you establish your own success and then you realize, okay, this is great, but there's got to be more of the life and I want to yeah. give back now that I'm in a position to do so. And, you know, you, you kind of go through the motions in your 40s or 50s or 60s whenever you get there of, of paying it forward. Mm -hmm. and helping others yeah. and and i think that's a beautiful thing about that arc of success and that's mm -hmm. where steve was at you know he's pretty well established didn't yeah. need to work for money anymore mm -hmm. and you know he'd made it by all intents and purposes but he was like yeah this is this is great but the, the real stuff is, mm -hmm. is is in the building community yeah that's cool yeah yeah so you it took you like three years you said three or four years yes what so, was that whole so Christo, project like let's see as Mr. I grab Ray's, another cookie. Yeah, please. Punch away. Um, oh and uh, shout out to Georgia's Bake Shop, by the way. This is Kelly Starrett's, Kelly and Juliet Starrett's daughter's um, new cookie company. 
uh, which is delicious. And I am proud to say that I, I think I'm one of her first subscribers. Mm. So I get two boxes of, of cookies delivered to my doorstep every month now, mm, which you are enjoying as we speak. Thank you, um, so, so the Krista Ray project took about, that was 2008 to 2011, I think. School launched in 2012-ish. Um, and what that looked like initially was uh, a whole lot of feeling my way in the dark. You know, I had no idea what I was doing. Steve, thankfully, had a little bit idea, but he was on the founding board. He wasn't on the founding team, you mm. know, and, and he was at a point in his career where he hadn't, uh, you know, he's probably not going to listen to this, so I won't worry about offending him. But <laughs> he, you know, he hadn't, he hadn't built something. He hadn't rolled up his sleeves. Mm probably yeah. 20, 30 years, gotcha. you know, he's, he's directing people. He's not doing. Gotcha. And, and so I had to be the doer, but I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> so, so <laughs> the and, doer doesn't know what he's yeah, doing. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that sounds great. So, so there was a whole lot of, well, what do we do now? Yeah. You know? Um, but we knew the first thing we had to do. So, so Krista Ray model to, to rewind a little bit is, um, it's actually a, a Catholic school. So the first school was started by um, a group of Jesuits in Chicago, and it's since expanded, and it, it you know, it maintains its Catholic roots. Um, although I have to say that they do a phenomenal job of not forcing religion down anybody's throats. You know, so I, when I think of Krista Ray today, I actually don't think of it as a Catholic school so much as a just a high quality, private nonprofit charter school with great, you know, high school graduation rates. Um, but it does have Catholic roots, which means the first thing that we had to do was to get the Archdiocese of Columbus to bless this, literally and figuratively. They had to sign off on it. You know, mm. so the Bishop of Columbus had to sign off on it. And, I, you know, I grew up Catholic and I was baptized and confirmed. And that was the last time that I really did anything Catholic-y. Um, <laughs> Catholic so, so it, it had been a while yeah. since, you know, I I'd, I'd navigated anything in that in that world, yep. which is a very political, mm -hmm. bureaucratic world. Yep. Um, but we managed to secure a meeting with the Archdiocese of Columbus's superintendent and ultimately the bishop. And the superintendent was wonderful, a woman named Lucia McQuaid. Um, and she hadn't, you know, by her own admission, all she had been doing the past 20, 30 years is closing schools. They hadn't opened a new Catholic school in Columbus in 30 years. You know, oh, wow. so, so this was like, this was totally, totally a foreign concept to her. So th there was a lot of selling that we had to do. Now, thankfully, this model is not a hard sale. <laughs> you know, hey, I can yeah. offer a group of underprivileged, economically disadvantaged kids, 99% graduation rates and excellent life experience before they leave high school. Are you in? Yeah, I'm yeah. in, obviously. Yeah. Like, who wouldn't be, right? Yeah. And, and not only that, is I didn't have to look like a madman because mm. there was already an established model in place. There was a school we could visit in Cincinnati, which we did. There was a school we could visit in Cleveland, which we did. You know, so there was already a template. We just had to follow that template and follow that playbook. But, it, but the first step was getting them on board with that, and that was not easy. That's a mm. slow-moving organization that, that we had to sell pretty hard. Um, after that, we had to figure, okay, so got the diocese on board with it. Now we have to like build a school. What does that look like? <laughs> well, that that's like physically build that, it. Physically mean, yeah. build it. Like that's going to cost a lot of money, right? Yeah. Yes. Um, so so thankfully we there was a governing body, uh, Crystal Ray National Network that that assisted local schools, 
you know, in, in their establishment of, of schools. And, and so Krista Ray National became a, a close contact of ours and they guided us through this. And the first step uh, was to do a feasibility study where you had to look at the, you know, the, the economic climate in the environment, which we were in 2008, 2009. So the economic climate in any environment in the United States was kind of shitty. Um, but you had to look at uh, the, the student population, you know, you had to look at micro trends, macro trends, socioeconomic trends, and just determine whether or not this school would be successful in this environment. And so that alone was a one-year process that cost about $150,000 to complete. So my job quickly became, I wasn't the guy to do that because that was a full-time job. I was the guy to raise money to do that. So my job became chief fundraiser of Krista Ray uh, after I became, you know, chief seller of yeah. Krista Ray. Um, so that's, that's what that looked like. It was a lot. Yeah. Was that hard to raise the money for it? It wasn't that hard, um, you know, because like I said, it was, a, it was a pretty easy sale. And, you know, we were not raising an outrageous amount of money. We were raising, you know, six figures. Yeah. Um, and, and so I, it would have been a lot harder, I think, had I not had such a great product to be selling. Um, I was not a great salesman then. I just, I just was an honest, authentic person. And I think people appreciated that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I was like, hey, I'm going to show you this thing that I'm really excited about. And here's yeah. why I'm excited about it. Mm -hmm. Are you excited about it too? Okay, cool. <laughs> Can you cut me a check? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like, uh, that's kind of always been my approach yeah, to, yeah. to sales, yeah. I guess. Uh -huh. um, but we were able to get that, get that fundraiser done pretty quickly. Incidentally, that's how I met my business partner for O2 oh, was cool. he became, you know, he got roped into this by a friend of a friend and became part of our, my little impromptu fundraising support staff. Um, and we ended up getting that done in about three months. And then we hired somebody to do the feasibility study. She did it. And then after that, we did more fundraising and, and then we, you know, built a school and hired staff mm -hmm. and all that stuff. And then when did you get out of the corporate world? So I left in 2012 is when I left my day job, um, end of 2011, early 2012. So, um, you know, after the Crystal Ray experience, I, I developed, a, you know, something of a, I don't know if I'd go so far to call it an addiction, but I definitely caught the entrepreneurial bug. You know, I'd been building PowerPoints for the preceding four or five years. Mm -hmm. And there's a big difference between building PowerPoints that get handed off to somebody else and maybe they do something, maybe they don't, to, to actually making a tangible mm -hmm. thing. Yep. You know, you can go to, what street's it on? You can go to Oak Street in Columbus and now see the school, which is a structure, and it's a beautiful, magnificent structure next to the Columbus Library. And you can see, if you go, you know, right around 2.30, you can see kids in uniforms wearing logos that my designer and I designed. That's a thing, you yeah. know, filtering out of that school and getting educated, it's awesome. And, and that's, that's, a, that's a process that once you, once you go through it, you can't imagine never doing that again. And that's, you don't get, I do, I wasn't getting any of that in the corporate world. I was building PowerPoints. I wasn't building things. And so I wanted to build more things. So that's when I, I decided to set my sights on entrepreneurship because it was fun to build something. Yeah. What was your first idea that you wanted to build of something? Oh, man. Um, that's a great question. Uh, it wasn't a drink. Um, I believe that I, I, I remember... I remember having a few thoughts around marketing and kind of developing at the time, like developing these, 
these platforms to find talent, to find freelance talent was a big thing, like 99designs, if okay. you're familiar with that at yeah. all, had just launched, and that was a super cool sort of platform where people could, you know, put up a design concept and have several, you know, potentially several hundred designers from all over the world bidding to, you know, to on this project. So it was a great way of connecting people who needed help with people who could help. So I believe I had an idea around that for the volunteer space. I know I had an idea around that for the marketing space, which I'd come from after I left strategy, I went into marketing at Nationwide. Um, and so I started to submit these applications to different, like different incubators, like, uh, like Techstars or the Brandery in Cincinnati. And, and each one of them got rejected, rightfully so, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> but, but I started out in sort of that, that uh, freelance economy space and then over time, you know, I, I just decided, you know what, I'm going to make this a little closer to home and, like, make something that I personally would use every day. And that's how I got into the drink space. That's how you found it out, too? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, when I was working the two jobs, so to speak, Crystal Ray being my night job and, yeah. and, and uh, Nationwide being my day job, I was sucking down a ton of Gatorade and a ton of Powerade and, mm. you know, some Monster, some Red Bull, all these traditional sports and energy drinks that you know, we all grew up on, I was drinking a lot of them, um, mm-hmm. to sustain this, this 24 seven burn the candle at both ends lifestyle. Yep. And, you know, I didn't come from a nutrition background, but I knew enough to know that that probably wasn't great for me. Um, and so, <laughs> and so I was like, huh, uh, I should stop that. And I started to look for alternatives that I thought were healthier. And, you know, I've always wanted to like coconut water, but I could never really get past the taste, Terrible. you know? So um, and there weren't a lot of other options that were cleaner, healthier, you know, sports or sports drinks that had a lot of functional efficacy to them outside of water. And I'm a big water proponent, but water gets old. Um, yep. So so I was like, you know what? I'll just make my own drink that I wish existed that doesn't. And how hard can that be? And here we are. Ten yeah, years where later. do you even start with that? Yeah, you start you start in a, you start in a kitchen. Just <laughs> with, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I, I, I knew that we had to start with the, the concept and I knew that we had to start with, you know, the, the formulation. I knew that that was super important because I wasn't going to leave my healthy, comfy six figure day job for something that wasn't worth mm-hmm. going all in on for. Yeah. And so, um, we started and we, I mentioned a second ago that I met my business partner through the Crystal Ray project. He and I became fast friends. Uh, he was and still is a medical doctor at Ohio State's hospital. So he became like my medical doctor buddy consultant. And we went into business together because he was he was kind of the brains and I was a brawn, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like he would he would tell me, okay, this is how much, you know, how many electrolytes we need. And this is how much sodium to potassium we need. You know, there's a lot of intricacies around the formulation for O2 that a lot of people don't know about. Like the ratio of sodium to potassium, for example, is based on the same ratio as an IV bag. And, uh-huh. and so there's, there's stuff like that that we put a lot of time and energy into along with the oxygenation process. I mean, uncovering the insight that drinking oxygen helps your body process toxins faster. That wasn't something we discovered so much as that was something that Dan, the doctor, uncovered that was already mm-hmm. pretty do- well documented in the medical field. We're, we were just the first to commercialize it. But we had to figure out how to do that, you know, and how to make it taste good. And how to make it like how to put it in a can, mm-hmm. right? That that was where 
that was really the hard part. And, and that's where a lot of trial and error. How do you place. drink oxygen? It's the same way you drink carbonation, man. You just <laughs> put the gas in the liquid and suck it down. How do you do that? So you like, can do it a number of different ways. I mean, you know, if, if you are, if you're going to a bar later or a restaurant, you'll probably see a bar gun right behind the counter. Everybody's mm-hmm. seen a bar gun squirts out, you know, it can squirt out carbonated water. It can squirt out Coca-Cola. It can squirt out, you know, Pepsi, whatever. So, so the way that that works is they have a tank of CO2 that's attached to that bar gun along with a, 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 a stream of water that is injected and at the same place in that process as a stream of syrup. So it could be the Mountain Dew syrup or the Pepsi syrup, or if, if you're just getting carbonated water, there's no syrup. But it's a combination of water and gas and syrup. And so you can actually, which is what we did, you can swap out that tank of CO2 at any scale and replace it with the tank of O2, uh-huh. and there you have oxygenated water instead of carbonated water. Now, that's not how we make O2 today. It's at much, much larger scale. Yeah. Um, but there's a variety of ways that you can do that, but they all, you know, they're all pretty straightforward. You're putting gas in a liquid, which is, which is not rocket science. Yeah. And then when you started, what were your expectations? And like so far, have you met them, exceeded them, or not hit them? Uh, that's a great, great question. <laughs> I guess, um, you know, financial expectations have been all over the place. But I, I remember, um, you know, I remember our, I remember talking to Dan early on and, you know, he and I were like, yeah, this will be, we're, we're just gonna like make this thing and like we'll sell it two years later and it'll be great, you know? And here we are 10 years later and it, it is great now, but we haven't sold it. We don't, it's not really on our, on our radar right now. It's, it's become a totally different thing. You know, mm. the goals have changed, the expectations have changed, and they've just evolved with time. You know, when I first set out to do this, it was, it was very much an exercise in scratching my own itch and, you know, very much an exercise in making something that I wish existed that didn't and very much an exercise in what I would consider serial entrepreneurship, which is I'll do this for a few years, then I'll spin it off and do something else next. And now, you know, this is, this is, what I view, I mean, this is for a long time, it's been my life, but this is what I view as potentially the most important thing that I do in my life now Mm. is, is building a brand that's built to last that can have a positive impact on the community. And so, so we're just starting to realize those expectations that, that were born out of totally different expectations over time. Yeah. And what was like the impact you wanted to have when you started? Like what was the mission, the goal? Well, I wanted to make something healthier, um, you know, to scratch my own itch, something that tasted really good at the same time was something you could feel good about putting inside your body. That didn't Uh, taste like shit either. That didn't taste like (laughs) shit either. That's right. Um, And that was honestly, that was the easy part. I mean, what what I think that I wanted but probably couldn't articulate back then was a challenge. And I certainly got it. Um, and I think that entrepreneurship is, is, I've heard it characterized perfectly as a personal growth accelerator, which is 100% true. Um, so, so you think of it as like a pressure cooker to incubate, you know, whatever, whatever shoots of greatness you have inside of you. And if you're lucky, one or two of them will come out of that pressure cooker. Um, but it's a, it's a way to fast forward, you know, your own growth and, and your own trajectory if you do it the right way. 
Um, and I, I think I wanted that for myself, but I probably wouldn't have characterized it the same way. I was probably just looking for more of a challenge versus a personal growth accelerator. Now it's what I love about it. You know, when I'm faced with a new problem, I don't look at it as, oh, fuck, I'm faced with a new problem. It's like, oh, good. Like, I wonder what's going to happen today. Like, yeah. I wonder how we can solve this and navigate this. And I wonder what, mm. what's going to come out of this, you know, because if you handle it the right way, it's going to be something good. So, so even when the problem's painful, it's like, all right, sweet. Let's, let's see what happens and let's see what we can get out of this that, that I'll, I'll be glad happened, you know, a year or two or three down the road. Yeah, that's cool. It just kind of shifted the whole way you just think about things in general, life in general. Totally, 100%. Cool. Totally. I feel, you know, I, as, I, as I enter my late 30s here, I feel like so much wiser and so much, yeah, I, I guess it's just, I guess wise is, a, is the right word for it, yeah. um, than, than I was, you know, not te certainly 10 years ago, even five years ago, three years ago. Like, you just, you, you, you get so much smarter to how the world works at a high level, at a low level, you know, um, strategically, interpersonally. It's just such a great way to, to fast forward your own personal growth. And I feel now that I've got the wisdom that I, you know, would have taken me 30 years had I stayed on my other career path. Yeah. And now you're a sponsor at the CrossFit Games. Now we're a sponsor at CrossFit that's Games. That's awesome. Uh, there you go. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. And it all, it all culminates there. Did it start in CrossFit gyms or where, like, who are you targeting at first? It did start in CrossFit gyms, actually, because uh, I don't know if you, I don't know if you knew this, but it turns out startup beverage ideas don't pay a salary, and so they don't? Uh, no, believe it or not. <laughs> so after after I left my day job, I had to figure out how to <laughs> how to continue paying the bills. Oh yeah. yeah. And so I started coaching first uh, martial arts and then CrossFit. Oh cool. And so that's what got me into you know the CrossFit space was in Ohio. In Ohio, yep. So I started at a, at a gym called Ohio Krav Maga and Fitness, and then I moved into a gym called Buckeye CrossFit, and when the business launched, I was a coach at Buckeye CrossFit, and so Buckeye became one of our first retailers, and my buddy Aaron Gennetti, who I'd trained with uh, in the past, he had recently opened a gym, and his gym, Endeavor, became another retailer, and through the relationship with Aaron, we, we were actually able to launch O2 um, kind of, uh, what's the right word for it? Um, kind of under the radar uh, at the Arnold Sports Festival. And by under the radar, I mean, we didn't pay anything to launch there, which is, which is unique because I had, oh, really? a, I had a friendship with Aaron, um, who was putting on the CrossFit event at the Arnold in 2014. Okay. Um, so he kind of snuck us in there, which nice. is great because yeah, I, yeah. I certainly couldn't afford a booth. Um, and our, our third retailer became, um, a gym in Portsmouth, Ohio that, uh, that I'm now very, very good friends with the owner, Dale King, who's doing amazing stuff in his community in Portsmouth. Um, they won third at the Arnold and then went out and partied all night and got super drunk and <laughs> had a raging hangover the next day that, that they drank some O2 for. And, you know, 30, 45 minutes later, he's fine. And he's calling me. He's like, Hey dude, how do I get some of this in my gym? <laughs> and the rest was kind of history there. So, you know, one gym became two and, and two became three pretty quickly. And then fast forward now and, you know, we're, we're, we're in the thousands of gyms across the country. Yeah. Um, and many of those are CrossFit, but you know, we also sell in lifetime and we sell it, you know, some yoga studios and some spinning studios and, you know, kickboxing places. Like we're, we're, we're starting to branch out, but the brand's roots are really 
very much in CrossFit because that's where I happened to be when the when yeah. the product launched. Does that still like remain the focus getting into gyms? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, that that is the tip of our spear um, strategically, and I I you know I'm biased, but I think it's a very good strategy um, because it's a it's a channel that is. Uh, protected, meaning, you know, like if you think of CrossFit Roots where both of us work out at how many products, you know, does Nicole get pitched to her all the time? Probably like a lot, I would imagine, because brands recognize, hey, this is a very high value segment of the population that has a good amount of disposable income. They're, you know, particularly brand loyal. CrossFit gyms are getting pitched stuff all the time, but they're very, very particular about what they allow into their boxes because they have to be yeah. they have to scrutinize we what they retail we can't have monsters and red bulls they, they can't have monsters yeah. you know I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll pick on monster in particular because their relationship with crossfit i think makes no sense because it doesn't fit and i think that most affiliate owners would tell you it doesn't fit i wouldn't sell to my box so why are they at the crossfit games right and i think that's probably why we're not going to see monster at the crossfit games again it's because it doesn't make sense Products have to make sense with the community. And by being associated with a community like CrossFit, you're borrowing the implicit endorsement of the box owner. And so for us, that's been really, really beneficial because instead of competing with 30 different brands on the, you know, on the store shelf at Whole Foods, we're just competing with two or three at, in Nicole's little retail area. And, and I like my odds against two or three better than I do against 30. And on top of that, you know, we're a, we're a company that's very, very rooted in the community and very, very rooted within the coaches in particular. We have a, a fleet of 400 O2 coach ambassadors who are in gyms every day coaching and representing O2. And, and that allows us, you know, to borrow another implicit endorsement because we can, we can then, you know, we can then really grow in that community a lot quicker for a lot cheaper than another brand might be able to that's not as authentically organic to that community what what makes a company like crossfit want to do that with monster in the first place <laughs> I, I have a lot of thoughts um i think that um you know i i think that it was probably a rush decision i think that it was probably in some ways an emotional decision i think that in other ways it was probably a a a financially driven decision but i think that at its core, it was a very short-sighted, short-term decision. Um, and I get it. Like CrossFit's been through it as a company these past few years. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's hard to think long-term when you're just, and I've been here plenty of times, more times than I care to account, we are just thinking, how am I, I going to make it through tomorrow <laughs> or next week, much yeah, less yeah. three years from now? Uh-huh. And so I think that decision was probably, a, a, you know, it prioritized the short-term over the long-term. Um, and I, you know, knowing what I know today, I don't think it would be made again. And, and, and I look forward to, you know, to seeing CrossFit bring in more brands like GoTo that make a little bit more sense for the, for the community. Yeah. I was going to ask you a little bit about the marketing side, but what you said makes perfect sense. Cause I was going to ask you, like you walk into a grocery store, like a Whole Foods mm-hmm. and there's 40 options mm-hmm. and you're like, how the heck do I stand out against this? That's right. That's right. I mean, you have to, that if that's your only if that's your only point of distribution, you have got to be on point with your marketing and you have got to be on point with your branding and your packaging. And that is an area today 
where O2 is, is, is relatively weak. Like I'm not a huge fan of our, of our branding and packaging today. And we're in the process of, of rebranding and repackaging. And, and, and we're doing that because we recognize that we didn't get that perfectly right. Um, and to compete in that, in that arena, you have to get that perfectly right. And that's really, really hard to do. Mm-hmm. We haven't gotten that perfectly right, but that's okay because we're not really competing in that arena. Whereas, you know, a brand, I, I look up to a brand called Olipop quite a bit because they have gotten the marketing and the packaging perfectly right. Mm. And as a result, they can stand off the shelf in retail. They can compete among, you know, 30 other different drink brands. And, and they do it really, really well. But the founding team behind that has a lot of, a lot of battle scars that have made them battle hardened to know how to do that really, really well. Mm. So it's, it's a tough it's a tough avenue unless your packaging is yeah. perfect and unless you have millions of dollars in venture financing behind you. That's the other mm, part of it. <laughs> and, right. and O2 has, not, has, has never had either of those things. Yeah. You are in a few stores though, right? We're in Whole Foods and Publix today, okay. regions of Whole Foods, um, most public stores. And we made a conscious decision last year to pull back from retail because we're just not well suited for it for the moment. You know, and that's, that's never been a big part of the brand's DNA either. And even though, you know, this year, O2 is the global, you know, recovery drink, hydration mix sponsor of the CrossFit Games, I would still venture to say that, that I don't know, 50% maybe of CrossFitters haven't tried O2 before. And so oh, there's wow. a huge part of the population within our community that we were born in that still hasn't tried our product. Mm. And there's a ton of upside left in that space. So why, you know, why would I try and fight a battle on on multiple fronts when I could just focus and win on one, mm, you know? Yeah. So that's really where we're focused. And that's also, we have a lot of heart for the, for the gym community. You know, most of my staff are CrossFitters and many of them have their L1s and we're just kind of, we love that community and we love doing cool things with cool people. And the CrossFit gym owners that we work with tend to be awesome people and the coaches that we work with tend to be awesome too. So there's just a whole lot of opportunity to do great things with great people in that yeah. space, which I personally find very gratifying too. Yeah. We used to be all fit aid before we did O2. Oh, yeah. I won't hold it against you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, you know, I, I, I actually have a lot of respect for fit aid because they, um, while I personally don't care for their product, they have executed a gym forward strategy very, very well for many years. I think yep. they've started, you know, more recently leading up to the pandemic and, and through the pandemic, they kind of, you know, they lost their way a little bit there. Um, but from, from, you know, from my perspective as a CrossFitter, yeah. it, was, it was hard, you know, fast forward, I don't know, three or four years ago, it'd be almost impossible to step foot inside of a CrossFit gym that didn't carry O2, you know, and, and we, at, or excuse me, didn't carry Fit Aid. Yep. Now we're making it our goal to make it impossible to step foot in a CrossFit mm-hmm. gym that doesn't carry O2. And I think when you put those two products side by side, I, I really like my odds against yeah. Fit Aid, you mm-hmm. know, just based on taste and efficacy, et cetera. Yep. But, but Fit Aid's a, a good competitor to have. Yeah. Do you still do CrossFit? Do I do CrossFit? You coach me every Monday, fool. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, not, since we're on the subject of getting, giving each other shit here, oh boy, I would here. like to draw your attention, sir, to the annual Madness Challenge. Why? Where, uh, because I have beat you on, what? on all three. No, uh, yes, I no, did. Yes, this month? Yes, this no, month. Yes, I have. Well, Which ones? Well, okay, two out of the three. Not the row. You got me on the row. You didn't care. You didn't hold the... 
Three minutes yeah. and 30 seconds. No way. Yep. Double body? Yep. I'm going to do it right now. I'm going back to the <laughs> uh, I knew I shouldn't have told you that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I did, I did that on... Uh, you beat me on Cindy, too? I did. What'd you get on Cindy? Uh, low seven. Well, looks like I got some work cut out for me this weekend for <laughs> <laughs> the first. That's good, though. That's, that's, that's good. That's good. Cindy's a good workout for me, especially if I only have to do, you know, yeah. 10 rounds of it. Yeah. Um, the, the pillar of strength one, that was, yeah. that was a, calculated, a calculated workout, meaning... You know it was double body back. Body, yeah, double yeah, body yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> sure. um, and so I did that before we did the back squat three rep max. Oh. On Wednesday, so I decided to just crush my central nervous system before yeah, crushing there it again. You go, right there. Um, but uh, I probably had another ten to twenty seconds in me, okay. and I made a very conscious decision once I started to feel my eyeballs popping out of my head <laughs> that I wasn't going to risk fracturing a vertebrae <laughs> to, to get another ten to twenty seconds. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. So I stopped at three thirty, yeah. and I was I was very happy with that decision. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Well, I guess I'll have to redo those and get it done. <laughs> get it done. Um, so you sit on two boards, Big Fish and yeah. then one other one. How did you get involved with Big Fish and then the other one? The I other one's called right? Forging Youth Resilience, Forging Youth which Designs. used to be known as Steve's Club. Gotcha. Um, so I got involved with uh, Forging Youth Resilience, FYR, um, pronounced FIRE for the okay. indoctrinated. Um, I got involved with those guys in 2020 because O2 led a big campaign um, right at the start of the pandemic to give back to a bunch of gyms. So if, if you remember, we, uh, we did something called the 50-50 initiative where on March 18th, I think it was, O2 said to you know the 1,200 or gyms, 1,200 or so gyms we were working with at the time, hey, we know you're shut down, this sucks, uh, we wanna help, and we also know your members are gonna keep buying O2, but instead of buying it from you because you're shut down, they're gonna buy it from us, we don't think that's right or at least it's not something that we're comfortable just, you know, sitting back and enjoying. So we're going to split the profits every time one of your members buys a case oh, of O2 wow. from us online. We will split, split the profits with you 50-50. And so uh, the community reacted really, really positively to that. We saw our sales um, in three days. We did more sales online than we had our best month ever. Mm. Um, we ended up roping in a few other brands to participate. Born Primitive was one of them. Um, Peori was another, Bear Complex was another, and then Chomps was another one. And over the course of about a month, our brands combined generated almost a quarter of a million dollars to give back oh, to awesome. about 2,000 gyms. Yeah. So, so that was a really transformative um, time for, for our brand because we went from having a fledgling D2C part of the business to a really th high growth, thriving D2C part of the business. Um, and it was also a great way for us to, you know, to show what we stand for, um, and, yep. and to show our kind of our, show off our values, um, and support our, support our gyms. And so we, when we were, when we were kicking back, uh, our portion of those profits to the gym owners, we gave them the option. You can take this in cash or you can take this in O2 product, or you can donate this to, uh, to Steve's club. And I can't remember the exact figures, but I know that. We made, on behalf of the gyms, a $10,000 donation to Steve's Club. And I think, you know, we matched that, mm -hmm. if memory serves, or, or maybe we helped round that up to ten grand. Um, we did that twice over the course of 2020. And, and so I, I didn't have much involvement with, with the, the brand 
with Steve's Club um, at the time, I just knew it was a good organization. Our mutual friend, Josh Murphy, um, endorsed it. So I thought, well, if Josh says it's good, then it's got to be good. Yep. And so so we made the donations, and then I got a call from you know their executive director, thank you, and who are you? <laughs> and so that's that was the start of that relationship. Yeah. Um, and so fast forward now, and I, I joined their board in uh, in January of this year. Nice. Yeah. And what do they what do you, what do they do? So so Steve's Club, kind of like Crystal Ray, they provide um, except instead of education, with uh, in Crystal Ray's case for Fire's case, which rebranded over the course of the pandemic, went from Steve's Club to Fire, which stands for Forging Youth Resilience. They do that. They forge youth resilience, and they do that by providing fitness and mentorship to underprivileged kids, and they do that by effectively giving free CrossFit gym memberships to oh, wow. disadvantaged youth. So there are 26, I think, Steve's Club, or excuse me, Fire chapters across the nation. There's one in Denver. Um, there's, I believe there's one in Ohio. Um, they're all over the place. And they're run by, they're run at CrossFit boxes. And they're generally run by either the CrossFit gym owner or a coach who's got a passion for you know, giving back and their transformative experiences because these kids who are, you know, ages, let's call it 12 to 18, um, that's definitely the age of impact. That's when you learn good habits or bad yep. habits. And these kids are coming from communities where they're not exposed to, you know, all the things that are great about CrossFit, you know, the community, the inclusiveness, um, the, the work ethic. Yep. And, and so all of a sudden they're put in that environment and they get a whole lot out of it outside of just getting in better shape. They, mm -hmm. they, they see that, you know, they can, they can hang with people who, who they probably haven't hung with before. They see that, you know, what community really looks like inside of a, inside of a, a healthy community. Um, and they're able to, you know, take those skills like hard work and hustle and apply them, you know, to things like school and yeah. things like, you know, work. And, mm -hmm. and that's something that they otherwise probably wouldn't have had. Yeah, that's really cool. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. All right, big fish. Mm. But before we get into that, I have a, I have a bigger question. Hit Can me. I have another cookie? Oh, yeah, please. I told you. Yeah, good, I came right? here hungry. I, I know. know why I did that. Unfortunately, I'm doing it. So I need to turn the questions back around on you so that I can eat some cookies. Yeah, that's true. Um, so maybe I'll, maybe I'll start thinking about my next I question. I get more interesting when I eat cookies. <laughs> Who doesn't? Um, so big fish. I first met Tosh at, I think, the 2018 CrossFit Games. And... O2 had its first uh, presence there as a vendor. We, we, we got a, a little 10 by 10 booth space, um, which, which... 10 foot by 10 foot? 10 foot by 10 foot. The smallest option, the cheapest option yeah. available. <laughs> yep. um, and I say that kind of chuckling now because a week from today, we will be in Madison and we have a 30 by 30 presence on Sponsor Row. We have a 10 by 10 in Vendor Village and we have an entire airplane hangar, basically, uh, the beer garden, which has been rebranded the O2 Lounge. Oh, and so awesome. it's kind of crazy to, to think how far we've come in that sense. But um, we got the, the cheapest little footprint available to us, and we were slinging drinks. And we were not like, you know, like Fit Aid, for example, which for a long time, they were just putting cans, free cans in the hands of everybody with a pulse. We were selling product. And, you know, we, we didn't have the financial ability to, to put free cans in the hands of anybody, much less everybody. Um, and yet we still were able to, you know, I would say Fit Aid, there was more of a Fit Aid presence in 2018, but O2 is a close second. And oh, we were nice. selling our product instead of giving it away. 
And every morning we would give it, we would give some of it away to like the special people, you know? And so CrossFit uh, staff, they could come over and get some free O2. Yeah. CrossFit coaches could get some free O2, whatever. Um, but every morning uh, this guy Tosh would come by and he was always in his red shirt and he was always hanging out at the adjacent CrossFit, you know, CrossFit seminar staff booth. And he would greet us with the crispest high fives ever. You've high-fived Tosh, I'm sure, before. That motherfucker gives a great, <laughs> a great, loud, crisp high-five. Yeah. And so every morning, he would just greet us with a big smile on his face, 